The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The story of the UK is an economy that has got real momentum. What is broken can be repaired. What is ruined can be rebuilt. UK inflation is becoming much more homegrown. We have huge potential as an economy in the UK. This is a time to tell Israel there is a path to peace. Our plan for the British economy is working, but the work is not done. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Bowden. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. I don't know about you, but I'm getting to the point in the year where I wonder about how I did at work, whether decisions that I made paid off, whether it was the hard graft that gave me the dividend or whether I actually made the right decisions when I was under pressure. And that sort of got me to thinking about Rishi Sunak and the big announcement that he made at the Tory party conference where Lizzie, you and I, we're reporting from early this year. The big announcement, a little refresher. Here it is. I am ending this long-running saga. I am cancelling the rest of the HS2 project. And in its place, and in its place, we will, in, we will reinvest every single penny, £36 billion in hundreds of new transport projects in the North and the Midlands across the country. This means £36 billion of investment in the projects that will make a real difference across our nation. So Rishi Sunak there, um, scrapping the flagship rail plant. Why am I thinking about that now? Well, because it's about those long-term decisions for a better future. Michael Saunders, the former Bank of England official, says that it is something that the Bank of England did quantitative easing that actually cost just as much as actually having gone ahead with the HS2 programme. And that is QE, quantitative easing. Yeah, it's absolutely a phenomenal claim, isn't it? Just a quick reminder of what QE is. Basically money printing by the Bank of England, first deployed by central banks uh, in the wake of the global financial crisis in 2008. They issued billions of pounds of new money uh, and used it to buy bonds. That kept the market functioning and kept interest rates on those bonds low. And that is the way for the UK and other governments during the pandemic to issue lots and lots of debt, which did help us get through those uh, troubling times. Yeah, but you have to ask, how much was the opportunity cost or how much would it have been if mm. you uh, didn't have QE or if you didn't, if you don't go ahead with HS2, how much growth could you have that you lose by yeah. not spending that money? But it's very pointed, isn't it, that Michael Saunders, who's basically an economist, is trying to speak the language of government by saying... Mm look at something that the Bank of England does, which actually most voters out there are not clued up on, but look at how much this 
um, you know, exit of, of QE that was an emergency programme is actually costing ultimately taxpayers. How does he translate that? He says, look, this you know, this is basically the cost of HS2. Yeah, yeah, the other thing we haven't fully got to the bottom of is how much of the current inflation we're dealing with at the moment is to do with QE. Central banks around the world issued mm. very suddenly 10, 11 trillion dollars of money. And when you create loads of money very, very quickly, economic theory suggests that's going to create a rise, a rise in prices. So, you know, some of the inflation pain we have suffered is undoubtedly because of those decisions by the, by the central banks. Yeah, it's an issue that often comes up at the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee. Um, we know that they've just written that scathing report about the Bank of England recently, and not to forget that former Governor Mervyn King sits on that committee. But Court talking about decisions made in a crisis that have mm. gone sour, it reminds me of what you were discussing yesterday, the Future Fund, and how taxpayers face this £300 million bill because of what was once seen as the lifeline for startups during the pandemic, the brainchild of Rishi Sunak, as it was called at the time. Yeah, well, I suppose it's, you know, marry, marry in haste and rue at your leisure, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, if that's the way that you see it. I mean, others will say that without these programmes, actually, we would have been, uh, you know, faced much greater difficulties because of the financial crisis and then the pandemic and so much more. But look, let's go to the inflation data, though, because that's another point that we've had out today. Again, very politically significant, Lizzie. Yeah, Caroline, you've got your clip. Here's mine <laughs> from our UK Markets Today editor, Dave Goodman. Pretty stunning reading, wasn't it? I sit next to uh, Connor, who does our swalk on, on Bloomberg, and I think everyone heard me shout wow loudly in the background <laughs> as, he, as he was reading out to people. Um, 3.9%. No one, we, 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 Bloomberg had surveyed 35 economists. Not one of them saw a reading below 4.2%. So mm. that kind of shows you how much of a, of a shock this is. In terms of a downward surprise, it's the, it's the biggest since February 2021. So in the words of our colleague Tom Keane, this was a wow statistic, this inflation reading this morning. Mm. A shocker to everyone. Dave's actually with us in the studio for more analysis. Dave, how could it be so shockingly good? (laughs) Well, if you think I was excited, you should have watched Mark Cudmore on TV. He... uh I've never seen someone so excited by inflation. No, I blew the doors off. Yeah, completely. Yeah, (laughs) this is very Bloomberg, isn't it? Yeah, watch it on Twitter (laughs) if you can. Um, Yeah, um, I think it's just it's stunning how how quickly it's come down based on where we were in the summer. In the summer, the UK was this big inflation outlier, almost a pariah. That people were saying, "Why has the UK got stickier inflation? Why is it so bad there?" Now, just a few months on, but the situation feels really, really very different, and the UK is coming back towards the pack, and that has big implications for the Bank of England because. Even last week, it was looking mm. like a bit of a laggard in terms of what it might do next year, what it might do on rate cuts. Increasingly, now I think it's just seen as part of the general trend towards rate cuts, and now we're seeing five five rate cuts, maybe even six priced in. But hang on, how can we all be cheering? 3.9% inflation. And it also doesn't mean that prices in the shops have come down. I mean, it's not like voters are going to be delighted about how much they're spending on their on their Christmas gifts this year or their, their table uh, in terms of, you know, festive food. Like... We have still had that big run up in inflation. So how come people are so pleased to see it, you know, still quite high? Yeah, totally. And the situation is obviously a lot worse in terms of prices than it it was going going into the pandemic and even coming out of of lockdowns. Um, I think it's just obviously the pain of where we were last year and how people were seeing... 20% 20% increases in food 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 prices they were seeing obviously those huge increases in, in, in gas bills now we're paying those anyway I suppose people have somehow internalised that normalised it and get used to that and then the fact that they're just realising at a more normal rate now is, is easier, easier to stomach 
So inflation down below 4% finally, but we're still worse than most other major economies, aren't we? Just put us in context with, with, with the rest of the world. Yeah, we're still below, we're still worse than, than most, most places in the world. I think we're coming back more towards the pack now, as I said earlier, that there is there's a bit more scope to, to see us in, in a more normal position. A big part of why the UK has been different is just to do with how energy prices kind of filter through. A lot of other countries feel the heat from energy prices earlier, and then when energy prices drop, it comes off quicker because we've got the energy price cap. It kind of we slightly distorts the data in that we get these increases or decreases in stages on particular months, and that really it impacts things. So I think that was why we looked so terrible earlier this year. So that's the economics, but of course it is political because Rishi Sunak's top priority at the start of the year was to halve inflation by year end. Here was the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt's reaction to this morning's data. A year ago, inflation was 11.1%. Now it's fallen to 3.9%, the lowest for over two years. And that shows the government's plan for the economy is working. But nonetheless, it is very tough for a lot of families. And that's why from next month, national insurance contributions will go down by 2%. That's worth £450 a year for someone on the average wage. Now, what you can't see because we're a podcast is the massive Christmas tree behind the Chancellor in that clip. But nonetheless, Dave, even before the CPI print this morning, Oxford Economics said that because traders were expecting so many rate cuts from the Bank of England next year, and because the fiscal watchdog, the Office for Budget Responsibility, calculates the Chancellor's headroom based on market rates, he's going to have about £11 billion of headroom by the spring budget. So inevitably, you've had Conservative MPs clamouring for tax cuts and we've reported inheritance tax cut is one of those that they're calling for. Just talk us through how markets reacted this morning and therefore what the moves in gilt yields mean for headroom in spring. Sure, I mean there was a pretty euphoric reaction this morning to, to the inflation data. Uh, UK stocks really soared, led by home builders, financial services, those kind of companies. Um, guilt yields plunged at the open and then we had bets on BOE rate cuts next year really really gather pace as I said there we're now looking at close to 150 basis points next year which would take us below 4% 1.5% yeah so below um, below 4% on on the BOE base wow. rate that all filters through into these calculations that the OBR will make um, so if it was 11 billion headroom last night it will be more this morning so I think then Obviously, that adds to the pressure. What what Hunt would say, and perhaps what he has been saying, is that you can't you can't use all of that to stoke more demand through through tax cuts, particularly ones that don't really grow the economy that well. Which add to inflation. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's why there might still be some some caution out there. Oh, but he said that before the autumn statement, didn't he? <laughs> I was interested to read that our economists, Bloomberg economists, now think that inflation will hit the two percent target by May, and that is a month which is has been touted as a possible election month. Yeah, although obviously we won't find that out until June. So let's, <laughs> well, that's true. Try, you have to try and think of how Richard Sunak will think of these calculations when he is when he's calling the election, or or do you go a little bit later and hope that you get more kind of growth picking up as well? I think it's it's a brave politician who who pegs elections to. ONS data though at the moment based on how that's been over the last <laughs> year that's very charitable word I but think. That, that's quite a rapid drop though isn't it so we really think it's going to be down to two percent within five six months yeah, yeah. Andrade said that to us on Bloomberg Radio this morning mm. our senior our European economist here at Bloomberg Economics yeah that would be a, a pretty surprising drop given that let's say where we were this time last year where we've been in the summer mm. like and I think 
what what we may see is just the kind of the maths of it. I think I was talking to Lizzie <laughs> after the November date, and I was saying like the, the drop in inflation we've seen is probably forty percent the BOE, maybe five percent the government, and the rest is just simple mathematics. That like you have these high energy prices dropping out of the calculations, that that drags it down. So when you have those base effects kick in, that really does lead to a quite rapid decline. But then we, yeah, it does mean there is a risk of a kind of we get to two percent or a bit below two percent, and then we bounce back up and everyone starts panicking again. Ah. In the clever pod that is the markets today team, how seriously do you all take the risk of inflation surging back in twenty twenty four because of all of this disruption to trade in the Red Sea? I mean that that is a risk. I mean we've seen a lot of these little pockets of things fly up as inflation's been coming down. Obviously there was the situation in Israel. There's the what. what happening in the in the in the red sea now i think they're all things that 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 they're on people's radars i i don't think it's going to be another kind of russia ukraine situation where it has such a huge impact on inflation that the kind of price gains just go completely off the charts like we saw like we saw last year yeah okay so perhaps the the impact being um quite different although actually a lot of the big shipping companies are now rerouting so you know it could be an issue perhaps for the future dave goodman thank you so much for being with us our uk markets today editor um, dave goodman just unpacking yes the inflation data out of the uk that we had at 7 a.m and then the quick reaction from the uh, chancellor and it is obviously a very significant issue for voters and for the government Yes, and very welcome. Economic news for the government, but some rather bad political news today. Now, Caroline, do you know how many by-elections we've had in this parliament? It's been four years, almost exactly four years since the last general election. Has it been four years since? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unbelievable. uh, Sooner than that, Uh, I I know the answer, but I was pretty shocked by it. Yeah, twenty. This is going to be the twentieth by-election. It all started off well for the Tories in this parliament with Hartlepool, the iconic Mm. seat of Peter Manson, a few years ago. The Conservatives gained that from Labour. Very rare for governments to take. Uh, a by-election. But later that year the Lib Dems gained Chesham and Amersham and that really started the rot. Well, more bad news today. There's going to be a by-election in Wellingborough in Northamptonshire. 10,500 voters in the seat have signed a recall petition to remove Peter Bone, who's been censured by Parliament over acts of bullying and one act of sexual misconduct, all of which uh, he denies. Now, Labour squeaked into the seat in their 1997 landslide. You wouldn't call it traditional Labour territory. Bone regained it for the Tories in in 2005 in another tight election but over the last few years he's built up his majority to now 18 and a half thousand that equates to about a 35 percent majority over Labour now this is the kind of seat which to win at the general election Labour would really really need to be in landslide territory but this is not a general mm. election this is a by-election and Labour have overcome much bigger majorities than this uh, in the last year or two so Labour will really fancy their chances with this one. Yeah, they fancy their chances and maybe they've got a chance after the many seats they've managed to turn over out of those 20 with landslides. But how much does it matter, Ewan, if we're going to have a general election at some stage next year, judging by the inflation data? I think it matters because it's part of the narrative, isn't it? The narrative is that the Tories are losing and Labour is gaining. It's just uh, part of that kind of march forward by the opposition. You remember when uh, Jeremy Corbyn was Labour leader, they really struggled in by-elections. That added to the narrative that he was wasn't a winner. So this is all really useful stuff, I think, for Keir Starmer in cementing his place as uh, as as a winner. 
I wonder what the messages are going to be. I think actually the thing from the by-election that fascinates me the most is, you know, a couple of months ago, six months ago, we were easily talking about this purely being a general election based on the economy, right? How do people feel in terms of their pay packet, their wages, their taxes? Maybe it's moving towards other issues. I mean, immigration could be one, the small boats issue, the NHS and so on. Um, This, of course, is... Uh, an MP, Peter Bone, uh, pro-Brexit. I mean, he served under Boris Johnson sort of briefly. Mm. Um, And so I wonder what the messaging for that by-election campaign is going to be. Also from Labour might give us more clues about what's in the pipeline from Labour. It's interesting that you should cite stopping the boats and cutting the NHS waiting list, two of the other targets of Rishi Sunak's, of course, Mm. alongside halving inflation by year-end. Apparently, at the Cabinet meeting yesterday morning, Rishi Sunak was marking his own homework on his performance through the year against his five targets that he set out in mm. January. He gave himself a four out of five. Mm, oh, okay. Which is a bit of a head-scratcher How when the- you think that the only <laughs> one that he's actually managed to achieve, resoundingly, or, but, uh, uh, yes. you know, fair enough, is halving inflation. He's more than done that. But on the rest of the targets, he's really in the well, dollars growing the economy um you know t- that's a pretty tricky one to, to and it's just waiting this is definitely higher than the yep. one started yeah. yeah that's just a, that's just a, a plain fact and he was at the liaison committee yesterday the uh blockbuster committee usually where you have the heads of all the different parliamentary select committees quizzing the Prime Minister he was asked when are you actually going to stop the boats and he wouldn't put a date on it and he refused to acknowledge whether or not commercial airlines have said they won't fly Mm. uh, asylum seekers to Rwanda so it looks pretty unclear on that So something that the government does want to do better on and actually could also help to grow the economy and that obviously the City of London is hugely interested in is the health of the UK stock market. It's been looking, Lizzie, absolutely peaky this entire year, if not longer. But the financial regulator has been setting out what it is calling the most far-reaching reforms for the stock market since the 1980s, basically in the hope of changing all of that. Yeah, the 1980s means... Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> Big Bang translation. Yeah, and also we'll cover, we covered Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, telling us last year about Big Bang 2.0, although that name got uh, quite swiftly uh, dropped. So we wanted to ask the Financial Conduct Authority's Executive Director, Sarah Pritchard, how these reforms are going to change things. I think it's the package as a whole. It's a simplified regime with one um, one main category. If you're a company considering where to list, do ask your advisors and take a look at our proposals. Uh, we want you to consider the UK as an attractive uh, proposition. And this is a much more simplified regime um, that should be easier to understand uh, with fewer frictions, particularly for those companies that are in a growing phase. Now, before we get bogged down in the nitty gritty of the details of this regulatory change, let's speak to our finance reporter, Will Shaw. He's here to break it all down for us. Will, how are these changes going to actually make companies want to choose the UK over New York? I think one of the key things to say about this is it comes against an atmosphere of general gloom around the UK's financial reforms and listings in general. Um, So for about a year, the government has been touting really loudly its so-called Edinburgh reforms, which were intended to boost competitiveness after Brexit. Um, Earlier this month, the Treasury Committee uh, said formally that those reforms were feeling like a damp squib. That's that's a a cross-party committee run by a Conservative lawmaker. 
Um, so there's gen- general concern around that. Then on listings, we've seen only a handful of companies have listed in shares in London this year, despite several attempts to shake up the market a bit and encourage more fundraising. Now, the most prominent one of those um, is Cambridge-based technology company Arm, which chose New York for its return to the stock market after its owner, SoftBank, um, spurred calls by the UK government for a dual listing. So I think there's a general sense of like pessimism around this. I think you can hear that a little bit from Sarah Pritchard's remarks. You know, she's keen. She's keen to stress what the FCA is doing, but urging others to to, to help. Basically, she's pointing to like much wider reforms. She talks about a public debate needed around. Um, areas including skills, workforce and tax. So there's a sense that things need to go much deeper than the proposals that have been announced this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a pretty big tell, isn't it, when you're calling on basically everybody else to get in there to try to change things. Um, Let's go back, though, to to Sarah Pritchard, um, because we did ask her if these changes would actually really lead, Will, to that big bang, to a big change for the City of London. Have a listen. So we hear um, a number of uh, comments around um, uh, issues that make the UK potentially less attractive for companies um, seeking to list. Uh, the regulatory regime um, uh, is one of those aspects, but there is a broader public debate around um, uh, investor familiarity with certain sectors, around peer location, around skills, workforce and tax. And what we're um, very clearly setting out today, um, we want to make sure that the regulatory regime is appropriate, that we've got the balance right. We absolutely want to hear um, from stakeholders from all sides of the market. But we're clear that we're part of a much broader ecosystem uh, and uh, our changes alone um, are are an important contribution to uh, uh, updating the the regime uh, so that it's fit for the future, but others need to play their part too. Does this get over the shrinking universe of listed companies in the UK? We've had outages that have disrupted trading in London. The FTSE 100 is the worst performing benchmark in Europe this year. We've only had 11 small companies that have begun trading in the UK. That is the enormous list of problems. You know it, I know it. All investors out there in London understand this. Is this going to be the set of reforms that's going to make the difference? We believe we've got an important role to play, but we are part of a much broader ecosystem. Uh, So um, our reforms are an important element of ensuring that the UK um, to support UK competitiveness and growth, uh, but there are others that need to play their part too. The other focus today, we are announcing a broader um, set of measures to strengthen wholesale markets, strengthening wholesale markets being one of our key priorities um, at the FCA uh, and setting out new rules for a framework for a consolidated tape. So that's a single data source that will provide investors with trade and sales data quicker and more cheaply, starting with bonds. So we, as the Financial Conduct Authority, are engaged in a much broader programme of regulatory reform. We believe, having heard feedback, we've taken detailed feedback since consultation earlier this year on reforms to the listings regime. And this is our moment to seek the final feedback on whether we've got the balance right. Well, interesting that uh, Sarah Pritchard there from the FCA mentioning uh, the much broader ecosystem. This is just one uh, tweak of the rules, isn't it, when it comes to companies listing in London? Isn't the fundamental problem that just in the last few years, London has uh, become uh, very cheap? Companies that list in London are valued at much, much lower multiples than the ones listed in New York. And that is very difficult to fight, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm reluctant to make a call on on whether whether these reforms might 
succeed or fail. I mean, a sceptic might say the the issues that the UK challenge, the, the issues that the UK faces run much deeper than uh, anything that can be resolved with a tweak to the listing rules. I mean, the thing to do will be what, watching the listings, see the numbers of listings in, in London increase and, and when. A good barometer for that might be watching ARM. I mean, we know that the financial conduct authority offered ARM certain modifications to its listing rules as part of an attempt to, uh, to bring it back to the London market. I mean, that was from the head of the Financial Conduct Authority in March. Now, we know that ARM are taking this seriously. So earlier Tuesday, the founder of SoftBank, which owns ARM and ARM's boss, were both pictured at Downing Street. Now, we, we don't know what was discussed. We don't know what, what the context of that is. But it, it seems like a fair assumption that, that their presence there is somehow connected to arms future in the UK. So that, w- that, that will be, it sort of suggests they haven't totally written off the UK. They are mm. engaged. They're preparing to come here. They're preparing to meet like very senior officials. I yeah. think they, they are the one to watch to see if these reforms have cut through to the wider market. Well, thanks for being with us. That is our finance reporter, Will Shaw, then. Look, I think this is really a very important moment, isn't it? We understand how difficult things are for the London stock market at the moment in terms of trying to attract companies to basically sell shares here, try to get investors to want to invest into companies that could eventually grow the UK economy. Um, So I think there's a lot of scepticism about what the government is doing. And yet, on the other hand, if solutions are offered, you know, right to give it some leeway to kind of reserve judgment until we see what the real results are. Yeah, because it matters for the government because it kind of is used as a reflection of Brexit and how Mm. successful it's been. But also, we've had such a tightening of regulations after the financial crisis that maybe some are asking, it's time to loosen the the rules a bit and get it get london going because when you think about the uh, companies that are listed on the FTSE a lot of them are really old and then if you think about the companies that are listed in america i'm going to say this for myself lots of them have existed since after i was bo- i was born mm. so um it's a very different situation here and there and this this is the fca trying to change it yeah, of course, London's dominated by uh, natural resources, mining companies, uh, oil companies uh, and banks. And as you say in, in, on the New York listings, there are loads and loads of uh, tech companies which are all worth a lot uh, of money. So it does make us look rather old fashioned. Now, look, London, you know, London was a hugely important stock market for such a long period of time. But just in the last few years, it has really declined. And uh, Mumbai overtook it in 2021. And even Paris overtook it as Europe's biggest exchange uh, last year. So it is a really quite intractable problem. Yeah. Uh, well, at least for now, though, government trying to come up with some solutions, or the regulator is at least, we shall track them for you. Important uh, for the economy of London, also for the whole of the UK. That's it from us, though, for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcock and our audio engineer was Max Green. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hetkert. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. 
With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.